0: It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday night in Fishtown. Kevin Kincaid with you. Baxter, the dog, is, uh, has been locked out of the room because he saw uh, a couple of cats and dogs that he was barking at earlier. Uh, Philadelphia Union are 0-2. We've got Marco Fabian with a red card and a missed penalty. We've got Sergio Santos with a uh, hip flexor. That'll keep him out for four weeks. So everything is going perfect uh, in Philadelphia Union land right now. Uh, we'll talk about that later. We'll get to that in the uh, the questions uh, segment of the podcast. we got a lot of them this week. But first, uh, a special guest on the program this week. Uh, joining us via phone, it's former Philadelphia Union midfielder Zach Pfeffer. Zach, what's going on, man? Hey, Kevin. How you
1: doing? Thanks for, uh, thanks for
0: having me on the phone. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Um, long time no see. I bumped into you, what, two weeks ago at the yep. – uh, at the Zach and I were playing together at the in the Starfinder um, cocktails with the Kick uh, charity game uh, over there in Mannion. We had a a good performance, I'd say. Right, we won three nothing, kept the clean sheet. Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three
1: nothing. Yeah, it was it was a fun event, good game. Uh, I know we we joked about it afterwards, but uh, I know I was exhausted after just playing for ten fifteen minutes. But uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> so so are you still playing around here? Do you um. Do you still go out and play pickup games or or anything any leagues anything like that
1: yes i'm I'm playing actually at, at temple's uh, intramural league so nothing nothing serious by any means but just something to stay involved in the game stay active a bit and, and just have some
0: fun yeah hell yeah so listen I have a confession to make and you you tell me if this is is if this is weird or not when uh when I play in those games I get kind of anxious before I play in them because uh You know, like when you're in the media and you're writing about soccer and people think you're like an expert or whatever, you know what you're talking about, you know, there's not not a lot of opportunities to actually go out there and play. So you just want to kind of make sure you don't make a fool of yourself. Right. You don't want to, you know, tear a hamstring or something like that. Or else people might say, wow, Kincaid isn't that great at soccer. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Is that is that weird? Am I like uh, paranoid to think that?
1: Uh, I'd say a little paranoid, but uh, I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't call it weird. I-, I thought, to your credit, I thought you had a great game, too. Brought a lot of uh, a lot of energy
0: to the team. Well, there you go. You know, that's all that matters, right? You want to go out and have a good performance. You don't want to embarrass yourself. Nobody got injured, and uh, we raised a lot of money for the kids, so it was, it was for a good cause, you know? Right. Um, so you are retired. Uh, you went to business school at Temple, and you are moving to New York, right? Tell me what's going on. What have you been up to since you retired?
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I retired in, at the end of the 2016 MLS season after I spent a year playing with the Colorado Rapids out in Denver and uh, made the tough decision at that point to hang up the boots and come back to Philadelphia. And, and I enrolled in Temple University. And I, I I came back for a few reasons and decided to essentially call it, I don't want to say call it quits on their career, but um, decided to hang up the boots at the time because uh, you know I, I, I knew I wanted to get kind of into the next phase and chapter of my life and get into the business world, which was my long-term goal, whether it was at that point in time or in 10 years if I continued to have played. But I made the decision ultimately to come back to uh, Philadelphia and I'm currently at Temple right now. I am a uh, senior finance major and been at Temple now for about two years. I started in the spring of 2017, January 2017 was when I started. And I'm actually going to graduate this May in about six weeks, and then, as as you mentioned, uh, after a little break of maybe five or six weeks off after graduation, and then I will be heading up to New York to uh, join Goldman Sachs in the firm's investment banking division.
0: Very cool, man. So, what? So, wh- when you did decide to retire, Zach, what um, what was going through your head at the time? Was it an easy decision? Was it a hard decision? Did you did you think at the time you were were you, were you still interested in maybe trying to continue your uh, soccer career? Yeah, so
1: those decisions obviously are are never easy Uh, for me. I'm I'm a guy, as as many other professionals, that started playing when I was three years old. It was always my childhood dream to play professionally, and and that dream came true, and I was able to live it out for a while, and obviously it becomes your life. It becomes everything that you know and everything that you do, so it certainly wasn't easy. But I think as I progressed throughout my career, as I got older, obviously I started at a very young age, uh, and so I was a bit maybe myopic in, in my thinking and you know only seeing soccer, not really the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But as I, as I got older and I, I traveled the world, I, I moved from the Union to Hoffenheim in Germany and then in Colorado, I was able to experience different things and kind of expand my horizons and um, you know I, I, I ultimately made the decision and for me it was a, it was a matter of saying, okay, I, I already played six years professionally, which is more than most people can say. Yeah, and you know, even though I'm 22, I've had a wealth of experience under my belt. I've been able to travel the world, and I still felt that I was young enough and at at, at an appropriate age to still come back to school, finish two years worth of, of credits because uh, I actually was also taking online college courses while I was playing through Penn State World Campus program. Right, right. So I only had about two years left. I wasn't, you know, any I wasn't too old by any any stretch of the imagination, and. I uh, felt that I would be able to come back, get a little bit of internship experience, and then make my make my way into the business world.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I don't think we talk about that a lot. I, I remember, I think a Moby was also taking classes too. I think he, I think he like cut a deal with his parents where they said, "Yeah, you can go pro, but we want you to <laughs> keep keep pursuing your education at the same time." And um, you know, you point out you played six years. I mean, yeah, the average professional career is not that long. You know, be be at MLS or the NFL or the NBA or anything like that um what what made you want to go to business school then did you have any other any other um career leanings other stuff you were thinking about when you were younger
1: uh not really I mean for me it was obviously soccer was first and foremost but I come from a very academic family in general and academics has always been very important and at the forefront of of what I do and what my brother's done and and kind of our our family values but uh I, I would say that my interest in finance came about really after I started playing professionally and I think I've told the story before, but once I got the that first paycheck, and at the time I was I was still 16 years old, living at home, so you know my parents brought up the mail from the mailbox, and uh, my dad showed me this first paycheck, and he goes, "You're not touching it. We're investing this. It's going in the market for your future." And <laughs> after that, I uh, you know, I had of course a vested interest to see my money grow and do well, and from there, it took me to kind of getting involved in the stock market and. I kind of just loved it right away and and I uh, really grew a, a tremendous passion for for the markets, finance business in general and yeah. for me you know for me business finance it's kind of if you think about it, it's kind of what what makes the world go around no matter what you're doing there's always some type of finance or business aspect involved so uh, I loved it, and you know, I, I really love what I'm doing
0: now. So, Zach, when you look back at your uh, f- your career, un- Union specifically, what what's sort of like the overriding theme or the the overarching theme when you look back at your years with the Union? What do you remember the most?
1: Uh, I think certainly the the most vivid memory probably has to be when I scored the <laughs> the game winning goal against DC United at home, and yeah, I guess it was the 92nd minute. But uh, you know, I've, I had a, a ton of great experiences, built a a ton of fascinating relationships both personally and professionally, and uh, obviously my first game, not just in MLS, but with the union was against Chivas Guadalajara, so that was a very special moment. Uh, Playing at Lincoln Financial against Real Madrid and Cristiano Ronaldo was a dream come true for me. Um, Even just scoring my first goal, which was uh, away in Columbus Crew at the very end of the game, not a thrilling moment since we were on the road, and uh, I, I, I think our season right ended pretty soon afterwards, but um, that was still a special moment for me. So a lot a lot of great moments, uh, a lot of great times, a lot of great people and relationships. Um, and, you know, certainly whenever I look back on it, it's, it's nothing but great things. And I, I know that maybe I didn't reach the heights that I had initially envisioned uh, when I first set out for my career, but I like to think of myself as an eternal optimist, uh, you know, a realist and and pragmatist, but, you know, try to stay as, as optimistic as possible. And For me, it's not it's not ever really a failure or even an overwhelming success. It's always just, what did I do? What did I learn from it? And, yeah. and how can that take me throughout the rest of my life? So.
0: Yeah, that was a great goal, man. You know, it's funny because I remember some of the – I remember more of what happened from, like, 2010 to 2015 than I do, like, the last two years. I don't, I don't know why that is, but I remember that goal very specifically because I think uh, – I think it was on national TV. I think Fabinho was coming down the left. He, he played a ball into Sebastian. Actually, I think he, did he dummy it for you? And then you just put it on your left.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sebat or, um, Fabinho had it down to the left and he got around his man. I don't remember who it was, but he got around his man, put in a nice low cross and yeah, Sebastian got, got to the near post, just got to go through his legs. And yeah, I took a pretty clean first touch with my right foot and was able to slide it home with my left. And, uh, you know, kind of just went went crazy after that. Got tackled by the whole team. has been a breeze for a couple minutes.
0: So. There was a good was goal, a... man. Yeah, you had another, um, you had another one against uh, Columbus. I think it was a nice like late run in the box. But I, th- I think you guys went on to lose that game actually. Um, and I think yeah, so
1: that that was my first goal. Um, that was oh okay. I Want to say that was at the end of my second season, possibly. But yeah, it was towards the end of the season. We lost that game two to one, I believe. But uh, that was actually with the Moby. Um, Moby was still on the team, and he had – I don't know if the ball came in from throwing or from out wide or cross or whatever it was, but he uh, he took kind of a little touch. I think might have gone through a defender's legs or what, whatever it may have been, and I kind of ran onto it in the box and snuck yeah. it through uh, the goalkeeper's legs. So yeah, that was a that nice was goal. That was a nice
0: goal, man. Yeah, um, Zach, I'm, I'm interested in – there aren't a lot of people who, who had the experience of being around for Peter, for Hack, uh, and for Jim – um, you were one of them. So I'm curious as as to what your experience was like um, playing for each of those three guys and, and how they differed and, and if they were similar in any ways. Uh, yeah, no, it was,
1: it was certainly a, a wild, I'd say a wild uh, and interesting career path for me just given the amount of faces that I saw, whether it was coaches or teammates. Um, but every coach is different. Every coach tries to uh, you know put in their specific playing style and Peter was at times more of a brute force kind of type of <laughs> approach and uh, you know, Hack was, you know, kind of very tactical in, in how he looked at certain things. And, you know, I think Jim had kind of a, a blend where he, you know, was tactical in his approach and, and kind of still had you know a bit of the defender mindset since he was a center back his, his whole career. But uh, at the same time I think he he certainly tried to have this a uh, useful approach as well in terms of getting some younger players on the field, which I think is more prevalent now. Um, yeah. it, it was a bit, you know, when I was playing, I think Eric Ayuk was there. We had a couple of us uh, younger guys that were able to get some minutes, but um, there was, there were some differences, but again, as I mentioned before, for me, they were all fantastic experiences. And I think being a young, you know, 16, 17 year old under um, a hard nosed coach like Peter Nowak was great. He had a tremendous amount of experience from his playing days and coaching days, uh, and then I had known Hack through some of the youth national team set up. So getting an opportunity to work with him was was a great experience as well. And then uh, Jim was a guy that coached me when I was still uh, in the academy, and right, right. when I played at some of the youth MLS tournaments. But then once he kind of became the first team coach, and you know, that was that was a uh, nice for me as well, and I uh, was able to get some minutes under under him.
0: Zach, I'm kind of curious. Um, I- I'm trying to remember exactly when your loan spells were and and uh, because i think you went out to harrisburg at one or more points um you did the the hoffenheim loan in in 2013 you were out there with uh with russell canals actually um who plays for dc now was is that right 2013 you were out there uh
1: yeah so harrisburg i played maybe you know two or three games there was no official loan there okay right Uh, and then hoffenheim was the
0: 2013 okay okay so uh, the I'm, I'm curious, you know, because I look back at your career. I look at, like, Christian Hernandez. I look at uh, uh, Jimmy McLaughlin, guys like that. And, uh, you know, there, there weren't, like, guaranteed minutes for you guys below the union level because, you know, Bethlehem Steel didn't exist back then. Um, so do you do you feel like it would have been different if, if you guys had, you know, a, if there was a minor league team, a USL team, where they could have got you guys steady and consistent minutes when you weren't getting minutes with the first team?
1: Uh, I, I think – that certainly could have been a factor. Again, it's it's always very difficult to tell and look back in hindsight, but there, there of course, wasn't really an infrastructure in place. Uh, the YIC Academy wasn't yet there. Yeah. Uh, there was a reserve league that had 10 games, so there wasn't really a platform for younger players to play, um, but I, I certainly wouldn't look to that or, or make an excuse or try to say, hey, I didn't have the resources or anything like that, because at the end of the day, I think no matter what, every player is going to be responsible for their own career. and yeah. uh, Obviously, there's, there's lock and special breaks that come along the way. But um, I think, look, if you look at the changes that have happened over the last three, four, five, six years, not just with the union, but in the league more broadly, I mean, it's pretty fascinating and absolutely amazing in terms of the infrastructure that's now there for youth players to
0: yeah. get
1: signed by the first team, get a full – 30-plus you know, games with a lot of meaningful minutes under their belt in USL. So uh, it could have been different. Who knows? I think at least from a, a game experience standpoint, it certainly would have been different and would have allowed me to maybe test out some things that uh, you know I, I didn't really have a chance to in MLS games because maybe I was a bit more timid or maybe I felt like I, I didn't want to make any mistakes because I knew the opportunities were a bit far and few between. So it uh, certainly could have been a factor.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean the league really has come a long way. It's crazy when you think about it. Um, Twenty sixteen, then they they traded you to Colorado. Uh, I think it was on on draft day. Um, what, what was what was going through your head at that point? Was was it? Were you surprised? Were you disappointed? Did you see it as a new opportunity? What, what was your sort of reaction when that happened? Um,
1: so at first, I think it was uh, a bit of shock and confusion, and I was actually in the car. I was on I was on the highway and. Uh, my agent at the time, Dan Siegel, uh, gave me a call, and uh, I literally just picked up and I said, "Hey, Dan, what's going on?" And he said, "Hey, you just got traded to Colorado," and I was like, "What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> give me some more information. What's going on?" Yeah, um, and I knew the draft was going on at the time, uh, so certainly a bit of shock at the beginning because my option, you know, was picked up by the team. I came off uh, what was for me a career year in terms of minutes played and just in terms of my impact on the team overall. Yeah. Um, I know when I when I came home and, and broke the news to my parents and my brother, uh, you know, there was a, a bunch of a, a mix of emotions. You know, of course, mom and dad never want to see their son go away or leave the house, but um, you know, for me, it was exciting because for me it was a chance to get out from my comfort zone. I was obviously born and raised in Philly and played my entire career up until then. Uh, with the union, barring of course the the one year in Hoffenheim, uh, but for me it was exciting, and I, I went there with a, a lot of confidence and a lot of hope, uh, especially because Colorado had essentially traded their, I guess it was what the number two pick or whatever it was in the draft yeah. to get me, and yeah. and so that gave me a lot of confidence. And I spoke with the the technical staff over there, and uh, everything sounded positive, and uh, I went there and you know really embraced the opportunity, and went into preseason with. With uh you know really a lot of joy, and kind of felt that this was a, a clean slate and a new opportunity where I could go and improve myself, uh, of course, you know it didn't play out the way i would have would have hoped, but um, it's certainly just i guess getting back to your initial question on the on the day of the draft was was a bit shocking just again given given the fact that I came off a real good season and was kind of hoping to play a big part in the team uh, in the 2016 season
0: so what was it like um what was the experience like in Charlotte then when they loaned you loaned you down there?
1: Um, so it was, it was a unique situation. Uh, obviously, if, <laughs> if you're looking at a map in the geography of the U.S., it doesn't quite make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it doesn't. It doesn't.
1: Uh, a yeah, the Rapids would have a partnership with, with the Charlotte Independent. So for me, it was, it was a bit of a hassle at the beginning. You know, you're in Colorado. You're all settled in there, and then you have to pack your bags and go all the way back across the country. Um but, look, again, as, as I've mentioned, a few times with every situation, there was good and, and bad things, and uh, at the end of the day, it was experiences that I could learn from. And, uh, you know, Charlotte was an opportunity. If you look at the positive side, it was an opportunity for me to, to play a lot of meaningful minutes uh, and to get some of those experiences under my belt, knowing that uh, time was going to be hard to come by and limited uh, with the Rapids at the moment. And um, it, it certainly was hot. Uh, I was there in the middle of the summer, and Ever been to Charlotte? It's it's certainly not cold there that no, time no, of it's... year. <laughs> um, but the the team was the team was great. Uh, everyone really welcomed welcomed me. The coaching staff did as well. And I think those situations though are always always really interesting because if you think about it from the players' perspective, the players that are currently on the team, you know, they're looking at a situation where they're affiliated with an MLS club. MLS club. These guys are under contract this is their full-time career. They're looking to play every minute possible. And you have it's usually the younger, younger players that are getting sent over to these affiliate clubs and we automatically get injected into the starting lineup. And so I think at times uh, there can be a bit of, I don't want to say animosity, but uh, maybe a bit of tension between players, especially if you're the one taking someone else's spot without even really kind of earning it in, in a sense and that you haven't been with the team that much, but yeah, um, I think maybe some of that was there at the beginning, but uh, in general, uh, I think everyone was very, very welcoming, and, and I made some good friends while I was there. And um, again, just enjoyed this experience in terms of living in a new city, but really wanted to get back to Colorado and, and try to prove my worth before the season ended. Uh, and so I'd spoken with the staff, and eventually made my way back there for. Uh, a few months but um you know unfortunately we didn't didn't really catch the break in terms of mls minutes
0: yeah that's an interesting concept you know the idea that you guys get sent down but you know the the idea is to come right back up and you know those guys who are already down there are fighting for fighting for minutes already i can understand how there would be some tension there That that's interesting i think that's something that fans uh, in media don't really get a lot of experience with or don't really realize you know but um you know you mentioned going down to Charlotte I was in Georgia for a couple of years so I know how damn hot it, it gets down there but I but I think to myself like it was a great experience going and living living somewhere else you know and, and being outside of Philadelphia seeing how different people live in different parts of the country and for, and for you different parts of the world um, you know and I would I would always joke I'd say like what was you know when Zach was playing uh, against the New York Red Bulls in like 2011 or whatever what what was I doing at age 16 I was probably like sitting at home and playing Warcraft or something like that you know so <laughs> I, th- I think when you put put things in perspective like that it probably um probably helps kind of ground you and tell you where you are you know
1: yeah and then I mean just on that point because I, I think it's a great point and it's it's something that I feel has really helped me in this next phase of my life especially in in the job recruiting job hunting process because I'm coming you know back to school as when I first came in I was a sophomore now I'm a senior but I'm a 24-year-old senior versus a lot of my peers who are, you know, 19, 20, 21. And even in the interview process, again, I'm going against or competing with kids that are in the same grade year. So again, not the same age. And I think having all of my worldly experience and I think having been able to become more independent and mature throughout my whole playing career, using all the experiences that I, that I gathered throughout those six years, I think was absolutely invaluable. And, and really helped me to stand out and differentiated me when I was going through, for example, the investment banking recruiting process and trying to get into a firm like Goldman Sachs.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Um, okay, I got one more for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, and this this is my favorite question to ask uh, former athletes, former coaches, former anything. Um, during your playing days, was there uh, w- what was something that the media or the fans? Um, didn't talk about enough or didn't spend enough time on or didn't really understand? If there's one thing that you wish the media and the fans focused on a little bit more, what would that be?
1: In terms of me as a player or just the game?
0: I think uh, either or. I, the game. What's something that doesn't get enough, uh, f- enough attention from us?
1: That's a very, very good question. I wish uh... – I wish I would have had time to think about that. Beforehand. That's why I um,
0: like. That's why I like asking it because I think I think everybody. Well, for example, Richter. I asked uh, Ryan Richter that question. and He said, uh, "his His answer was that he he felt like we don't we don't explain or put enough time into how hard it is for guys to switch positions. For example, like if you're playing if you're a right fullback in a four four two, it's not just like a perfect fit to go." playing as a right wing back in a 3 in five2 a you know what I mean so that was his answer he said maybe we don't we don't understand that enough
1: right I mean I, I guess I can kind of you know I'll be I'll be cheap and kind of steal that a little bit um, and, and kind of add my twist uh, to it and I can build off of my experience because in in my 2015 season which again that was kind of the, the breakout year for me under under Jim Curran, yeah I played if you remember a lot of the games I had played especially in the second half of the season, we more of a, a holding defensive midfielder role. Yeah. And I really, throughout my entire career, both in the youth ranks and throughout the beginning parts of my professional career, I was always an attacker, whether it was number 10 or a wing player. So that was a big transition for me. And, you know, historically, especially when I began playing, I was kind of known as the smaller guy. You know, I'm, I'm relatively small in stature in terms of being by 5'8", relatively thin kind of build, and I wasn't looked at as the primary aggressor, the guy that would six foot and just crush people and tackles and make up plays but I think for me I think I surprised a lot of people and I even surprised myself and that gave me a bit of confidence that I was able to to really go into that role and perform well and help the team and I think it developed my mentality further and helped build the the kind of aggressive um, side of my game And so I guess just again to your question and, and to the point maybe even that Richter made I think those changes are very underrated and you see a player that even like a a very good friend of mine who I saw a couple months ago, Paul Arriola again for DC United, uh, great player. He bounced back and forth last season, uh, if you remember, between right back and right mid or left mid. And that's not easy, especially if you're talking about, you know, maybe you're talking about center mid, whether it's an attacking number 10 position or holding role, but playing an outside back versus an outside mid position is vastly different and there's so many different roles and responsibilities and on the defensive side you have to figure out how to deal with lightning quick attackers creative, skillful attackers so um i'll just i guess echo what richter said and i think that's certainly a part that maybe doesn't get as much appreciation
0: no for sure man i hear you you know I've, i've played like center back my whole life and then like people will think oh just go play right back you know you're on the back line like well yeah i mean but the position's totally completely different you know so um it's, it's 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 interesting to hear that from you and from ryan at the same time listen zach great stuff man um i appreciate it thanks for coming on the show and um good luck up in new york man it sounds like you're doing really well um keep in touch and we'll uh we'll we'll see how you're doing uh down the line all right man
1: absolutely sounds good thanks for having me on
0: anytime brother yep talk to you soon we will get to your questions comments and concerns i don't I got to be honest, I I don't really have a lot of juice for the union right now. <laughs> got to be honest, man, I don't know. I don't really know what to say after, after a couple of games. Um, I watched the game, DVR'd the game again and watched it on Monday and uh, just tried to jot down some notes. Um, I watched up until about the red card and then obviously when it's 11 v 10, there's really not much you can take from there. So this is what I wrote down kind of in in chronological order. The Warren back heel in the first half was wonderful. I have no idea where that came from. (laughs) I thought Marco Fabian might actually have been able to do a little bit better with that. Um, Kind of snatched at it a little bit and didn't didn't get much on that shot. Um, Nice to see Marco Fabian step into a shot from outside the box and give it a ride. Uh, He had one of those in the first half. Union really haven't had, had many guys who have been willing to do that over the years. You know, um, Bork Call was not that kind of attacking midfielder. Traquillo Barnetta really wasn't that kind of attacking midfielder either. It's just nice to see somebody have a rip from outside the box, you know, um, on the penalty, the first penalty with Austin trustee. Um, I watched that back a bunch of times. I fast forwarded, re-w- rewind, rewind, fast forward, rewind. I did that about 10 times. And, uh, the attacker was not uh Buccio would not have gotten to that ball. Uh, he, he wouldn't have gotten there, which was passing him as trusty made the contact from behind. Um, and it's still a penalty, obviously. I mean, Austin knows he can't push him like that. I think they even cut to him mouthing the words like he, or admitting that he made a mistake afterwards. Um, but he didn't have to, you know, cause I didn't think that ball was getting to him. Um, the long balls last week I think were okay because they they're playing against a three-man back line and they were driving them into the corners. There were a couple bad long balls from the center backs in the first half of this game near the center circle um, where they had a little bit of possession. They were pushing, pushing forward. They had numbers forward. And then they lumped inexplicably lumped a couple long balls uh, to nobody in particular. And, and the long balls should never really be played from, from that point in the first place because there's – you can't run into space and get behind defense there when the defense is already back behind the ball and compact and they're already in their own half. So you can't be playing those like have like panicky like let me just chunk it over the top because I don't have anywhere to go anywhere else to go kind of balls. You got to be better in possession there. Um, Tommy Smith was trying to say that this Graham Zusi yellow card was a penalty, which. <laughs> which was not even close. He he touched the Union guy clearly outside the box. I don't know what he was trying to say, if he was just trying to be a homer, or if he was having trouble seeing it on the monitor. I'm not really sure, but his foot was not even close to being on the line. I don't know if it was Craval or if it was somebody else. I can't remember who he fouled there. Um, Jack Elliott, there was a sequence where he played a really, really great cross into the box. Uh, I think that he was up for a corner or a set piece or something. Uh, Fafa Pico, I thought had a header on it, but he just jumped way too early. Um, the first yellow card on Marco Fabian was bullshit. Uh, he didn't hit Johnny Russell in the face, <laughs> he wasn't even close to hitting him in the face. They both kind of went up for it and clashed shoulders and fell down, but that was about it. Um, I don't, I don't know why that was a yellow. Um, Warren Cavall had another good play where he chested the ball back to Andre Blake in, in really calm play in a danger area. Um, Wagner took some lumps, man. took some really hard hits in this game. He got flipped head over heels. Almost broke his neck on one play. Um, I thought he was okay the other night. Um, he's like, like a real Philly guy, real tough Philly guy. He's going to put his body on the line. Um, I thought the union honestly did a good job of getting forward and had some nice chances after they went down a man, um, like initially in those first couple minutes, the first like six to eight, I think. And then it kind of fell apart from there. But, um, that was pretty much it. I, again, I need to see more. You know, I need to see a couple more games to see how they how they are working in this new shape, working in this new formation. I just I don't know. I still feel like I'm not really feeling the shuttler's positions. I feel like the fullbacks can be moving differently and the shuttlers can be a little bit more compact. I don't think Harris Madunian was hung out to dry. Um, or I don't think... Harris necessarily hung hung the defense out the dry so much uh this week as he did last week but I still think like bedoya and creval or whoever's next to him could be could be closer and could do more to help him out for sure um all right let's see what you guys and gals want to know here because I don't really have much to say beyond that I I, I got to be honest with you I'm a little I'm a little uh jaded right off the bat here two weeks into it um let's see here uh, rick mcgovern i'm sure he wants to know about dutch football here uh the lack of coverage regarding Ajax's uh champions league win is depressing uh, no question just that also what did happen to the i get knocked down people uh, i guess you're talking about chumbawamba there um I don't know what happened to Chumbawamba. You know, that was a weird... I always bring them up when I'm talking about, like, the worst bands of all time just because I hated the I Get Knocked Down song or whatever. But apparently Chumbawamba was not like that back in the day. There used to be some punkish kind of alternative something. I don't know. I got to, like, look more into that. Uh, the lack of coverage. Look, nobody cares about Ajax, whatever, you know. Um, but I'll cheer for them over Real Madrid any day of the week, you know. So uh, Union Hulk is checking in here. He says, does Kevin Dino and on Broad Dino think that the Philadelphia Union are done shopping? Is this as good as it gets? Also, remember the people who sing, I get knocked down and I get up again. Whatever happened to those people? Well, we just answered that question, Hulk. But uh, do I think the Union are done shopping? Yeah, I mean, they did did the Montero signing. I mean, if he's not ready to go this week, then what? Is there something we're waiting for here with him? (laughs) What are... What exactly are we waiting for with him? Sergio Santos, of course, out four weeks, figures, of course. Fabian suspended. I mean, you you can't make this shit up. It's like the most union shit of all time. I think that's why I'm kind of just burned out while recording this podcast because it's just the same crapola that it always is, you know. Um, Patrick wants to know, does 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 Dos Santos make sense? Uh, And is it remotely realistic to think the union might pursue him? uh giovanni dos santos yeah i i mean sure i could I, you know they marco fabian says yo come play in philly but where are you playing and they both kind of play the same position um i don't think Gio plays enough defense that w- where you would play him as like a shuttler in this formation um you know unless you want to take one of the strikers off the field and, and or play him or Fabian as one of the strikers, but I just don't see the union going after him. I don't think they have the money for a player like that, you know? Uh, Jason says, while, while we talk about Harris, and rightfully so, what are we doing with a Com? Only 16 minutes so far this season. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Sergio Santos out now. Um, I mean, a should get some minutes, you know? Uh, he'd at least be the first guy off the bench. I wouldn't mind seeing him maybe get a start because – how many, chance, how many clear-cut chances have, have Fafa Pico and Corey Burke created You know, um, in the minutes that they've played? I don't know. I, I just really haven't been impressed with anything that either one of those guys has done so far. Um, Patrick says, with the league's highest XG at 4.62, probably skewed a bit by the penalty kicks, uh, the new system seems to be working. Uh but is the lack of a big D P striker going to continue to hurt them in terms of actually finishing those chances? Yeah, I mean it's a good point. Um XG I like and I don't like sometimes. I mean it's just it doesn't take into account uh which way a guy is facing, what his body angle is, left foot, right foot. Um you know, there's just so many factors that come into that. That I just I just find it hard to apply advanced analytics to to the game of soccer I do think that they've been pretty good in chance creation I mean they had a decent amount of shots and a decent amount of efforts the other day um I think Jim pointed that out in his press conference today Wednesday and people were kind of rolling their eyes a little bit and saying well you know you know he's being positive about this and positive about that but I mean if you We'd sit here. We'd be sitting here and saying we could sit here and say they don't have a goal from the run of play yet, but they are. They are. It's. It's not for a lack of of chance creation. I don't think that's the issue. So, if that's one thing to hang on to, I think it's certainly worth worth pointing out. You know, um, PA Bias says over under the amount of games until Tanner gives Curtain the axe uh, is it six? Ah, uh, God, I don't know. I mean, Atlanta is not a world beater this year I mean if they can go steal a point there and then maybe get a win against Columbus or a tie against Columbus I don't know I think if they start zero and four don't you have to start thinking about it then I I just don't I don't I don't know I don't know how how far they go I mean is it six is it eight at what point do you get where the season is is you know you're fighting from behind just to scrape a six seed again you know I don't know what Ernst Tanner's thinking I really don't I would say four to six you know, I mean, you got a lame duck coach on a one-year deal anyway. I don't really know what the downside would be to moving on from gym if you really wanted to do that right away, you know. so um, What does joy on – what does Russ really think of the SOBs? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's blown – I just – I woke up on, like, Saturday morning or something and my mentions were just, like, going on and on and on. I had, like, 200-some messages or something like that. It was just, thanks, Mike, for – Bringing that up, bringing that up, um, or people just arguing about the sons of Ben and that the discussion that we had the other, the other on the last podcast, and Russ was sort of talking about, you know, the lack of uh, juice, the lack of buzz in the River End, and uh, Matt, the sons of Ben president, got on there. Uh, one of the uh, capos or capos or whatever the hell they're called is a capo, is a capo. I don't remember. Uh, you know, there's this big argument going on, but it's but it's all good stuff. It's it's these are all like relevant questions talking about like you know some people introducings want to introduce certain ideas uh to get shut down by the people who have been doing this for forever and then that kind of it gets stuffy and it gets stale but then there's also the idea of how do you how do you generate interest and in, and generate enthusiasm when the team isn't winning and the team isn't doing well so i'm going to get matt on the podcast sometime soon we're going to we're going to dedicate a whole thing to that we're going to do an entire episode with that cuz it's a really it's a good topic and there's a lot of stuff to talk about like that so we'll take a lot of those ideas from that crazy ass Twitter thread that I ended up on somehow. And we'll do it in a, in a proper format this time around. Um, Jesse says, how tone deaf is it for Curtin to bring up uh leading the league and chances created while not having a single goal from the run of play? Um, I, no, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, what do you want him to say? What do you want him to say? Like, well, we've, you know, we've played like dog shit. We look like dog shit. He's not going to say that. So, I mean, I think it's just him trying to do a glass-half-full approach to installing a new system, you know. At some point, the strikers, it's on the strikers to finish chances and to do something with it. You know, Corey Burke and Fafa Pico haven't exactly been, you know, the most clinical finishers over the year. So, um, Kevin says, can you – oh, sorry, I lost it. Kevin says, can you talk about the development of players under Curtin? I feel like there's a lot of first-year success uh, that drops off in the second-year players under him especially in the defensive end, like Richie, uh, Richie Marquez, Jack Elliott, maybe even Trusty right now. Yeah. I mean, Austin making a dumb play. He doesn't have to have to make it the, in the, you know, in this game and like under 10 minutes in the game. And, you know, Trusty had, I know he was a rookie last year or whatever, but he had uh, you know, the, the own goal in the U S open cup final, he had the own goal against New York City. I can't remember if it was in the playoffs or the game before the playoffs, which affected the seeding. Um, but, yeah, it does feel like these guys kind of flatline, kind of take a step backwards. I, I don't know why that is. I really don't know why that is, you know. Um, I don't know if they just hit their ceiling right away or maybe if these guys aren't as talented as we, as we think they are. I'm not sure if, if uh, you know, the, the – <laughs> I don't know if the coaching says identifying what the next step has to be for them. I really don't know what it is. It's just a, such a strange thing. You know, we did the when we did the interview with Zach earlier, you know, that they, they traded him for the number two pick in the twenty sixteen draft, which turned into Josh Yarrow. So that's another thing too. I mean, it's probably a bummer to be traded, but then when they trade you for a guy who ends up kind of flaming out after a year and a half or whatever and can't stay on the field, can't stay healthy, that's another issue too. It's a good question, Kevin. I listen. I wish I could give you more on that. I just don't. I, I don't know. I mean, um, and Mark McKenzie not playing too is 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 disappointing as well. You know, and you can point to like and if you wanted as well. I mean, they sold us this big thing like we don't need Keegan Rosenberry, and then you know and not even playing. He got Ray Gaddis on the field. So uh, okay, here is an over under. Union players on the field at the final whistle. Nine point five. Uh, I'll say over. Missed marks by Harris leading to a goal, 1.5. I'll say under. Uh, games remaining for Curtin, 3.5. I'll say over. I don't know. I just I, – I don't know. that If they lose this week and then if they lose at Columbus, they're 0-4. Uh, if they go 0-5, m- maybe. So that that would take us to – they'd have to get six games for the over. I'll say the under. I'll take the under on that. Uh, Mike says, uh, if Mbizo is more than a fitness thing, does right back become the number one need above the other holes? Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't I don't know. I it, it just the, the optics of trading away a 25-year-old in Keegan Rosenberry, I know he wasn't amazing for Colorado the other day, to keep it around a 28, 29-year-old who has his limitations, it just doesn't look, the, the optics of it just don't look good to me when Ernst Tanner comes out and says, we're confident in what we have with Olivia Mbizo. You know, it just rubs me the wrong way. Um, Cullen has a comment. He says you can't buy Union Home Fabian jerseys because the A with the, uh, the accent on it, uh, is not a valid character in the create a Jersey field. So that's kind of annoying. And he says, I bought one anyway, but really, yeah, I mean, come on, we gotta be friendlier to our, uh, our, our foreign friends here. Don't we, you know, um, If you got an accent, if you got a tilde, if you have an umlaut, I mean, any kind of foreign, whatever, if you have the Bosnian or Serbian little upside down V, uh, whatever that's called, you got to get these things in there so we can, you know, so people can have the jerseys they want. Come on, man. Uh, Shay Richardson says, if the Union could add one player from the Sixers to the roster, who would it be? Also, could T.J. McConnell score more goals than <laughs> David O'Con- Uh If the Union could add one player from the Sixers to the roster, who would it be? Um, God, I guess it would have to be uh, mm, Boban. How about Boban? Imagine him playing as a, uh, a target forward, you know, just put the ball on his head. I think he's taller than the goal. Actually, he's not taller than the goal, but it's, it's close. He's the largest dude I've ever been around. I wish I could describe it. He's just a ma- a massive human being. Uh, Bobon, he could play like Jan Kohler uh, against the United States in the, in the 2006 World Cup opener. Big Mac in Delaware says, uh, After the start, can we safely say that the dumpster fire called the Union will never end? Yeah, I don't. God, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want – we we're sitting – I I can't say I'm surprised. Can you say you're surprised? Are you sitting there in your car on the Schuylkill Expressway right now or, uh, you know, doing whatever you're doing, saying, like, that you expected the Union to be 2-0? and No, I – no, because you looked at the schedule. I mean, I all said Toronto, Kansas City, Atlanta, uh, 0-3, here we come. But knowing what Toronto was, that they really weren't that great this year and they that Javinka wasn't going to be around and that they bombed out of the Champions League, like, I think you're disappointed, you know? Um, The red card, I, you know, I didn't really talk about the Marco Fabian red card. I, I, I'll i say this. I, I don't – it bothers me just to read about that on Twitter in general because there's a lot of people who talk about those situations in such a matter-of-fact way When, when the bottom line is that you don't know what the guy's thinking. You don't know what Marco Fabian's intent is. The only person who knows whether Marco Fabian intended to stamp – Johnny Russell is Marco Fabian. Okay, <laughs> so when I sit here and I laugh when I see some of these corny uh, writers on Twitter who I know have never played the game at all, and I, I don't—I don't mean to be like a one of those people who's like, you know, uses that to demean people. Like you never played the game, and I did. But like I—I I see people talking about things in a matter of fact way when it's just I. Anybody who has played on the field knows that, like, intent, it, it, intent cannot be judged externally. It just, it just can't, you know. And even if things look obvious to you, if it looks like somebody did something, to, something malicious, how do you know they're not just a really good actor? How do you know they didn't sell it perfectly? You know, um, I'll say that I don't think and i'm not really into generalizations and unconscious bias and a lot of those sort of like leftish talking points i'm i've always been more kind of a centered kind of dude um but i do think there's probably something to be said for marco fabian being a mexican international and probably not getting a lot of respect from the refs right away i mean i do i, I don't know why i feel that way i just i just do I don't know if Michael Bradley would have been red carded for the same thing that Marco Fabian was red carded for the other day. You know, and if that sounds like me talking out of my ass or just making something up <laughs> or saying like accusing somebody of being—I'm not accusing anybody of being racist. I'm accu- I, I'm saying that it feels like there might be some bias there as towards him as not only as a newcomer but a foreigner and also a guy who plays for El Tree. So I don't think it's too far fetched for me to have that gut feeling, and maybe you have that as well. I think a couple people suggested that to me, but as far as whether I th- I thought it was intentional or not, I can say in my playing days I don't I don't think I've ever I don't re- remember ever s- stepping on anybody like that. I know that normally when when I think most players would say that when you approach that kind of contact, normally you're kind of rolling through the contact or you're trying to cushion your fall naturally. It's kind of like a a natural reaction that you can't really control where instead of even if, even if you land on a guy with your spikes, you still continue your fall over him. You know, um, rarely do you see people land the way he did and stamp on him and then stay upright and not fall down. And maybe that would have helped his case if he, if he did spike him, but he kept rolling and he immediately got up and said, look, sorry, man. He, he kind of, he kind of did wave off the referee a little bit and, and like, you know, put his hand up, but I don't, I don't, I think Fabian could have helped himself probably a little bit to say, I'm not guilty. I didn't, I didn't mean to do this on purpose, you know, but I mean, all I can say is that, and, and Russell fouled him too, you know, he made contact with his foot, I think before the ball, which was also, I think a mistake from the ref, but I, I don't, all I can say in, in my experience is that I don't think I've ever come down like that on, on somebody. I, th- I think normally your momentum is going to carry you in a direction where you're either going to tuck and roll through it, or it's you're you're never going to be coming straight down like that. I think you're always normally coming at an angle. So, but again, I'm not I'm not going to sit here definitively and say he definitely did this or he definitely did that. And I don't I think it's irresponsible and frankly kind of reckless for these journalists to to sit there on Twitter and say that's always a red card. It's a dirty play. Like you don't fucking know. You can't accuse somebody of being dirty if you don't know what their intent was. So, I think we just got to get away from that these these absolutes where it's like, this is definitely a red card. This was definitely malicious. He definitely meant to do that. He definitely meant to like like. Let's not let's not go down there because I feel like that's a little bit of a of a slippery slope. You know. All right, two more questions here. Um, Mike is trying to get another one in here. He says Jamiro uh, at the eight or the six uh, flex, uh, pending on personnel. No, he look he. I don't know. I mean in in the video that I watched of Montero, he looked more like a he definitely looked like a box-to-box guy. Uh he was, it looked like he was kind of playing on as on a left or a right side like as a flanker um in a lot of the videos I watched, but it seems like they're committed to Harris. Uh, at the six i I and that's actually the next question from john says can the system work with harris at the six i mean jim Curtin came out today i think he said quote harris madunian is like the least of our concerns or something like that and uh i get it i mean he harris still is the best passer on this team Uh, a lot of good things happen when he can get up and he can sling the ball around defensively of course you know i think he's a concern but uh no, I mean, I, I, I think if if you told me right now where I think they put him on the field, I think they put him on, on that left side or that right side, wherever Craval was playing last week. So I think, I think your diamond would be Fabian Montero Bedoya on the other side, and then Medunian, and I think that's probably what you're gonna you're gonna get. I don't know what his passing. Looks like I don't know what his passing range looks like. You know the thing with playing this formation is that you got to have a really good connector as a, as a deep lying playmaker. You know you look at the way that Kyle Beckerman passed over the years playing in the diamond. Um, Harris is a great passer, so you know let's give it another game and see what they can do in Atlanta against a team that's not amazing. They got a win over Monterey um, before going out in the in the Champions League uh, on aggregate three to one, but. We'll see. So that'll do it for this episode, episode seventy two or seventy three or something like that. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed the interview with Zach. Thanks to Zach um, for coming on. and sorry, I didn't have a ton of juice tonight. I just like I'll be honest with you, I just really am not feeling. Uh, the union right now like I just don't really know what they are I don't know what to think and um, I need, some, I need to see something this weekend that gets me more interested in talking about it win or loss you know because we're only three games in man I don't want to do another one of these seasons where it's like oh they suck again and blah 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 and we just bullshit our way through the summer like I want to have good stuff to talk about I don't want to be negative I want to be positive you know we want to be fair so we'll see what they give us this weekend man it's always soccer in Philadelphia thanks y'all